Life is full of many different types of questions, isn't it? And some of these questions that we are asked are questions that uh, tell a lot about who we are, and sometimes the questions we are asked tell us where we are headed. Uh, Some of the questions that we get are just about personal preference, right? Coke or Pepsi? It's Coke. It's Coke, just in case you didn't know that. It's Coke. Uh, Cats or dogs? Neither. Yeah, that's where I fall. (laughs) Uh, Trucks or cars, Chevy or Ford. There's a lot of different questions like that. That's just about what we like, what our personality is, uh, and and that's all it kind of tells us. Then there's some open-ended questions that we might get, right? right? How can I help you today? What, what, what are you in need of? What? How's it going? Uh, we, we get these open-ended questions that tell us a little bit deeper about who we are, where we don't necessarily have just a choice, uh, but it tells us more about what our needs are and maybe who we are like. And then we get those questions that kind of tell us where our future is headed. You know, we've all were asked, what are you going to do after high school? Are you going to go to college? What college are you going to? What degree are you getting? When you grow up, what what type of job do you want to have? Maybe, Maybe you get a little further down the road and you say, when are you retiring? What are you going to do once you've retired? How is retirement? And we get these questions that, that kind of direct us, and, 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 we're at, and we're expected to know the answers, right? When we're five years old, they ask us, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we were expected to have an answer for it. But that answer might change as time goes along, and that's okay, but it still kind of shows us where we are headed in life. In the third chapter of Mark, we are introduced to two different questions uh, that are asked that kind of people struggle with. Uh, the two questions are, who is Jesus and what is our relationship to him? And throughout the third chapter of Mark, uh, Mark tries to answer this, but he leaves it very much open for us to answer. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 3. We're going to start in uh, verse 7 today, uh, and we're going to read Uh, some of these answers to these questions. And the first questions I want us to look at is the question, who is Jesus? Uh, The couple of answers are given in this section here. This is what it says. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. And when they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. And for for he had healed many so that that those who with diseases were pushing forwards to touch him. And whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Uh, there's been a, a lot of things happening. Last week we read chapter 1 of Mark. We skipped chapter 2. We're in chapter 3. But that, 
that period in chapter 2 uh, is a very important period in the life of ministry, of, of ministry of Jesus. Uh, this is where the popularity of Jesus is surging, uh, so much so that even though Jesus is in Galilee, this uh, almost backwater portion of the Roman Empire, people are flooding all around to come and see Jesus. Uh, we're given seven different regions that people are coming from to see Jesus. Some of them are Jewish and some of them are not Jewish. They're Gentile regions and people are just excited. But they have an answer to this question, who is Jesus? And the answer that they have is Jesus is a miracle worker. I mean, do you see why they're coming to Jesus? They're coming to Jesus not because they're wanting guidance from him, not because he's teaching them something spectacular. They're coming to Jesus because they are sick and they need healing. And Jesus, in chapter 2, has done a number of different healings, and people are amazed and, and wonder at it, and they are coming to Jesus for that healing. We think about it, it kind of makes sense. They live in a culture where modern medicine does not exist. They live in a culture where medicine has not advanced to a place where they really understood too much about diseases. And so when someone got sick and the doctors couldn't heal them, their only hope was for somebody like Jesus to come along. Someone who had supernatural power, who could take the pain and the, the sickness away from them. And so when they hear about Jesus, they come to him seeking that help. The demons in this passage also have an answer to this question, right? Who is Jesus? And the answer that the demons have is you are the son of God. And if we read the very first part of Mark, Mark kind of tells us this is who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. But for the people at that time, the question was very much up in the air. But the demons knew the answer. And Jesus tells them, you are not allowed to tell people. And, and we often look at that and we wonder, why would Jesus say that? Why would he ask the demons, not to proclaim the fact that he is the Son of God to the people. And I think the answer is very simple. In all of our lives, we have to answer this question ourselves. You know, we can have people tell us what the answer is, but ultimately, when it gets down to who we are as individuals, we must come to an answer that only we can give. And so while the demons understand the true answer, you are the Son of God, the people in Mark chapter 3 don't understand that yet. And Jesus doesn't want them to be forced into this opinion. Jesus wants them to come to that conclusion themselves. The story continues in Mark chapter 3, and we get a couple more answers to this question, who is Jesus? If we skip down to verse 20 and 21, uh, we read this. Then Jesus entered a house, and again the crowds gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. So they're crowding around the table even, right? And in verse 21, we're told that his family heard about this, and they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. 
The third answer to this question that the people are asking, who is Jesus, comes from his own family, and the answer is, he's crazy. Jesus is a madman. And this is very interesting to us. Again, as we read this, we're like, wow, this is the closest people to him, and they think Jesus is insane. Why? Well, we don't, aren't given an answer, so we don't really know fully, but I think we can come to a conclusion as to why they thought he was crazy. One, first, it begins with the fact that Jesus began his ministry late in his life. Uh, Luke tells us Jesus was somewhere in the age of 30. Uh, and this is relatively late for most people to begin to train as rabbis or to uh, begin the process. And, and we're kind of left wondering, why is it that, that, that Jesus just now comes onto the scene at this point in time? And, and if you notice, if you read the rest of this section, you'll notice that we're, we're told about Mary and we're told about the brothers of Jesus. But there's this guy who's very important at the beginning of Jesus's life who's not there. Joseph, the earthly father, the father figure that would have raised Jesus. For some reason, he's not in the scene. And the only reasonable exp explanation is that Joseph probably isn't in the scene any longer. Not that he's divorced Mary and left, but rather he's probably dead. And it's very likely that Jesus, as the oldest son, would have taken on the responsibility of taking care of the family. And so after Joseph died, Jesus comes and steps in and he takes care of them financially, making sure that there's food on the table. And now, once his siblings are old enough to take care of themselves, now he is left to go on to his ministry. The other thing that helps us understand this is possibly Jesus didn't show the fact that he had powers to his family. John kind of indicates that the first miracle that Jesus performs in his life is at a wedding in Cana. So his brothers and his sisters, they've been raised with Jesus. They follow, they've been with him their entire lives, and they have never seen Jesus show this type of power that the crowds are witnessing. And so when they hear about it from rumors of people saying, have you heard about this guy, Jesus? And they're like, oh yeah, I know who Jesus is. He's my brother. What's up? And once they hear that, they just think that he's crazy. How is this happening? And so they've come to take charge of him. There were no mental asylums, so they come to take him, to hide him from the public eye so that he wouldn't shame the family any longer. Jesus, to them, was a madman. The fourth answer comes in the very next verse, and it comes from the opposition of Jesus. And this is what they said. The teachers of law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. And the fourth answer, the final answer in this chapter to who Jesus is, is he's possessed the uh, religious leaders at the time, they 
were having problems with Jesus. Uh, Mark chapter 2 tells us five different stories about Jesus. And in every one of those stories, at the very end of the story, we're told that Jesus and the religious leaders were in opposition to each other. Jesus forgives a man's sins and says, walk. And he heals the man. But the religious leaders, they don't see the healing. They see the fact that Jesus said, I forgive you. The Jesus meets with a guy by the name of Matthew, and he's a tax collector, and Jesus goes into Matthew's home, and he sits and he eats with sinners and tax collectors, and the religious leaders say, you shouldn't be doing that. Jesus and his disciples are walking through the fields, and they're hungry, and it's a Sabbath, so they start to pick the grain, which was legal according to the law of Moses. And as they're picking the grain, the religious leader said, no, that is working. You shouldn't be doing that. Jesus never once encouraged his followers to fast while he was here. And while everybody else fasted at least three times a day, if they were truly religious people, or three times a week, if they were truly religious people, Jesus didn't encourage that. And so the religious leaders, they were upset with Jesus, so much so that they put a man who was uh, lame in the hand, he had a shriveled hand on, in the synagogue, and Jesus walks in, and they put that man there just to test, to see what Jesus would do, and Jesus heals him, even on the Sabbath. And so while the popularity of Jesus is rising amongst the crowds of Israelites, the opposition to Jesus from the religious leaders, those whose power were being dwindled, it also rises. And so to combat the fame of Jesus, they do something that we do in our day, right? They defame him. When we look at our political system and all the advertisements, you know, we hate political advertisements, right? And one of the reasons we don't like it is because more often than not, they attack the opponent. They tell us why we should not vote for him rather than telling us why we should vote for the other person. It brings controversy. And this way of dealing with people is not new. The religious leaders were doing it with Jesus so long ago. And they did it because they were seeking to prove their point that Jesus is possessed. Jesus doesn't really listen to any of the other arguments, but he does refute this one. And he tells a parable about two people, one, one, one house being divided and all that will do is split that house and he says if if i am possessed and driving out demons that doesn't make sense because it would it would divide this kingdom of the devil so which is the answer mark doesn't give us an answer to that Mark presents this question, who is Jesus? And he gives what different people are telling about Jesus. But he will not give an answer until the question is built up in full and finally answered in Mark chapter 9. So this is a question that we have to answer ourselves. Who is Jesus? And the answer that we give should inform this next question, what is our relationship to him?
See, if we think that Jesus is just a good guy, another one of the great philosophers, those, this man that gave some teachings that, that are really good, but that's all he is, then his teachings we can take or we can leave at whim. You know, all, all philosophers have decent ideas and, and some of them are good for us and some of them don't really make sense and it doesn't matter which ones you take. And so if Jesus is just another good guy, we can listen to him when he says love people, but when he says something that we don't like, we don't have to listen to him. If we think that Jesus is a charlatan, a, a miracle worker, a demon-possessed man, then we don't even have to listen to him at all, and there's no reasons why we should be here on Sunday morning looking at his words. But if Jesus is the Son of God, then it should radically change how we live. Because if Jesus is the Son of God, then what he says matters. So what is your answer? Who is Jesus? And not just what we mentally say the answer is, but what do we live as the answer? Do we truly believe in the way that we're living our lives on a daily basis outside of these walls that Jesus is the Son of God? Because if he's the son of God, then we should be following everything he has to say. Mark has that second question in this chapter. When he asks, what is our relationship to Jesus? And he gives two different answers for this question. Uh, the first one is found uh, in verses 13 through 15. We're told that Jesus went up onto a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Uh, the Mark chapter 1, we kind of read it last week where he calls these four men to be on mission with him, to go and to be fishers of men. And they they come to Jesus and they follow Jesus, but the ministry of Jesus is getting so big that he needs more. And so he calls these 12 men to be on mission with him. And notice that they are not passive in the ministry of Jesus. They don't just get to walk behind Jesus and watch him. No, Jesus calls them so that they might preach, so that they might drive out the demons. I mean, think about this. We, we have these large gatherings. We can fill entire stadiums, and, and one person can be talking, and the entire stadium can hear them because of technology. I mean, we use it in here today. The reason why I'm not losing my voice talking to you in the way back is because we have technology that allows us to hear you by speaking softly. But Jesus didn't have that. The, the Roman Empire had some kind of that technology with their amphitheaters where one man standing on a stage could speak to a large crowd. But in Palestine, that wasn't necessarily the norm. 
And so Jesus, speaking to large crowds of people, not everyone in the crowd is going to be able to hear. And so Jesus calls these 12 men to learn what Jesus is teaching, to be able to stand out in the crowds. And as Jesus preaches, these men can also preach, and the large crowds can hear the words of Jesus because of these men appointed as disciples. Jesus It's just one man. And he calls these men not only to be preachers, but to be healers. To heal the sick. To cast out the demons. To do these miracles that Jesus himself is doing. And he gives them the authority and the power to do that. Jesus is the Son of God then one of our relationships with Jesus is on mission with him. We have that same commission that these disciples had to go and to preach and to bring healing to the souls of men. We're to go and proclaim this good news about Jesus about the kingdom's coming, about the sacrifice that was made upon the cross. And if we truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He is calling us to do this, and it must be part of who we are in this world. The second thing that we see in this chapter with Mark of who we are comes at the very end in verses 31 through 35. Jesus' mother and brothers arrived and they were standing outside and they sent someone in to call Jesus and the crowd was sitting around him and they told him, hey, your mother and your brother, they're outside looking for you. And Jesus asked, who who are my mother and my brothers? And they looked at, he looked at those who were seated in a circle around him and he says, here are my mothers and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The second answer to what is our relationship to Jesus, if Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is calling us to be a part of his family. His mother and his brothers, they're coming. And remember why they're there. Do you remember why they're there? Because they think that Jesus is crazy. And they're trying to get to Jesus, but the crowd is so thick and so large that they can't even get close to him. And so they start passing the word. Hey, can you tell him? I'm his mom. I'm his brother. Can you tell him that we're here? And it gets all the way to Jesus. And Jesus asks this very seemingly harsh question. Who is my family? And Jesus doesn't ask this to spite them. Jesus isn't asking this to to kind of deny the fact that they're his family. All right, because Jesus isn't crazy. He's the son of God. He asks this to make a point. He says, you can be my family. And this invitation to be a part of the family of God is permeates throughout the New Testament. 
In John chapter 1, we're reading about this word of God coming down to the earth. And one of the things that John says is this. He says, yet to all who will receive him, Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not born by natural descent, not physically related, but born of God. Paul talks about it throughout his letters, and probably the one that I love the best comes from Romans chapter 8 when he says this, for those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. And the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you receive brings about your adoption as sons and daughters. Jesus, the Son of God, is inviting us to be a part of His family, to receive the adoption into the family of God, to be able to cry out to God, Abba, Daddy, Father. there is something we have to do. Paul talks about it right before this in verses 12 through 13 when he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, you have an obligation not to live according to the flesh, but to live according to the Spirit. Jesus said it here. He said, Whoever wants to be a part of my family must do the will of God. Doing God's will is what makes us a part of God's family. And so we have these two questions that we have to answer for ourselves. Who is Jesus? Is he truly the Son of God? And if our answer is yes, he is the Son of God, then we have to ask, what is my relationship to him? And that's a tougher question to answer, I think. Because we have to really, truly examine ourselves and ask the question, if I truly believe he's the son of God, am I doing the will of God? If Jesus is the son of God, am I obeying what God is calling me to do in my life? Am I following this mission of preaching and bringing healing to the people's souls? Am I a part of his family by the way I live in every aspect of my life? Those are tough answers to ask. Those are tough answers to come to. But they're answers that we have to make sure that we are on board with and we have to know where we stand and i'll be honest there's times where we can be far away and that's okay because we're trying to get there and you may be at a different spot than someone over here and that is okay too we are all on different spectrums of this answer but the question is is are we moving closer to doing God's will, to accepting Jesus as the Son of God.
and not just another good guy. So what are your answers to these questions? Wherever you're at, you know, if you're still questioning and wondering, that's okay. We're going to sing here in a little bit. If you want to talk to me about any of these questions, I'd love to talk to you about them. Who is Jesus? And what is your relationship to him? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world, that he showed us the way to live, that he gave us the courage and the strength to answer these questions wholeheartedly. Father, in our lives, help us to really wrestle with these questions and answers and where we fall in it. Give us direction in the way that we go. Help us, Father, to recognize that you are calling us to be on mission with you and that you're calling us to be a part of your family if only we would do your will. Help us to answer these questions in that way, that I am a child of God. Thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen.